0: So Christmas is approaching, and we all like stories, don't we, about new babies. I don't know about you, I'm at the stage now where lots of my friends are having grandchildren born, and the Christmas letters are pouring in, and lots of pictures of sweet little babies. And it's lovely, isn't it? And the world in general loves the Christmas story, even in places like Communist China, where they sold me this tie. Or I go to India, as some of you know, dominated by Hinduism, but they still have Christmas trees up, and you can still hear O Come All Ye Faithful being played in the shopping mall, which seems very weird in the middle of a hot country like India, but they do. And all across Europe, I think we have more public bank holidays over Christmas period than we do over any other time of the year, even Easter. It feels comfortable and cute, doesn't it? And read superficially by itself, the story we've just read and sung about Um, doesn't seem very threatening does it it's a picture that people are comfortable with and maybe that's why everybody of whatever faith is quite happy to celebrate christmas because it's a nice story about a nice little baby but let's look again at the first christmas day because actually only luke the chapter we read Describes the events of the actual day of our Lord's birth The Gospel of Matthew has one verse Chapter 1 verse 25 that just says Jesus was born Doesn't tell you anything else And Mark and John don't even mention it So we only have these 20 verses that Darren read to us that actually tell us anything about the first Christmas Day And of those verses Seven of them are about the history, putting it exactly in the right historical context, who was the emperor, who was the governor, and the fact that there was a census. They also tell us in the first seven verses where this happened, happened in Bethlehem, no doubt about that. But actually, two-thirds of the verses, verses 8 to 20, 13 verses are taken up with this story of the angels and the shepherds. Somehow, for Luke and those he was taking the, the, the description from, probably Mary, this was the most significant part of Christmas Day. So, the fact that Luke chose this event, and only he writes it down, amongst all the other things that they maybe wanted to tell you, which the stable was, you know, which places they tried... Sheraton was closed, the Hilton was closed, ended up in the stable, right? Must be of considerable importance. And Luke was writing this. Remember, he wrote his gospel primarily for Gentile, non-Jewish believers, people like you, probably most of you, maybe a few of you have Jewish background, but most of us here are probably Gentiles. So unlike Matthew, who doesn't talk about Christmas Day, as I just said, but most of his gospel references when he writes about coming of jesus refer to the full fulfillment of old testament prophecy luke doesn't do any of that because he's writing for people like you and me and he wants us to focus on this event of the angels and the shepherds so let's look at it and there are three main players in this event first of all the shepherds were told in verse 8 now they're worth in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping their watch over their flocks by night. Shepherds. Who were shepherds back in the first century? Well, they were amongst the poorest part of Jewish society. They were on the lowest rung of the economic ladder. They probably hadn't been to school, had no formal education. It's indeed entirely possible that they were totally illiterate. Most shepherds were on a par with what we would consider to be gypsies or vagrants or conmen today. They were looked down on by their countrymen. All the way back in Genesis, if you looked in uh, Genesis 46 verse 34, it was said that shepherds were loathsome to the Egyptians. And they remained poorly thought of even when they all ended up in the promised land. In Jews, Indeed, the Jews of the first century regarded them as ritually unclean and they were not allowed to serve in the temple. Furthermore, they were so looked down on that if there was any court of law going on, a shepherd's testimony was not acceptable. They were not regarded as reliable witnesses. Think about it. So isn't it remarkable, and somewhat unusual, that God should send angels, which itself wasn't very common, and reveal the message of Jesus' coming to these shepherds, the people of the lowest standing in Jewish society. Something else about these shepherds that I've discovered as I've read around this story uh, and my my late father was a great uh, lover of a certain theologian called Alfred Edersheim don't know if any of you've heard of him he wrote a classic book called the life and times of Jesus that sort of puts Jesus in a historical context Edersheim himself was a converted Jew so that helps deep in Jewish tradition apparently revealed in writings that the Jews today still value very much called the Mishnah a belief had risen that the Messiah would be revealed from a specific watchtower specific place where the shepherds would be, it was called the Migdal Eld Eda, the tower of the flock. Now this wasn't just any old watchtower this was one that stood close to Bethlehem on the road to Jerusalem if you know where Bethlehem is, it's about five miles away from Jerusalem and what's significant is the sheep that were pastured around that area just outside Jerusalem in the area of Bethlehem These were not just any old sheep that were used for lamb chops and meals and wool. These sheep were destined for temple sacrifice. That's what was happening outside Jerusalem. So these Jews, these shepherds that we read about in verse 8 were probably looking after sheep destined for temple sacrifice. Indeed, the Jewish rabbis of the day required that any animal which was found between Jerusalem and this watchtower, the Migdal Edda, which was near Bethlehem, was automatically presumed to be a sacrificial victim. So don't you think God had a particular purpose for selecting those shepherds to reveal this message to? These men who watched the sheep that were meant for the temple slaughter were the ones who received a divine message about the ultimate lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Now, I'm sure the shepherds didn't realize that at the time. Maybe 30 years later, something made them think about it. But now we look at that and say, wow, wasn't God planning that shepherd appearance very carefully? And in spite of their poor reputation as a class of people, I think it's probably fair to say that these shepherds were, looking, were, were spiritual men who were in some way, like many Jews of the day, looking for the coming of Israel's Messiah. You know, everybody else who's mentioned in the Christmas stories and the events around Christmas itself, in Matthew and Luke, were described as godly people. You know, think of Simeon or Anna. And so it would seem to be true probably of the shepherds as well. Because after all, why would the coming of a Messiah, as it says in verse 10, be good news if you weren't somehow expecting it? Yeah. And and of course, when they are told the good news, they don't ask lots of questions. They go with haste. That's what it says in verse 15. So they were in some way spiritual people. They may have been illiterate. But, of course, lots of things were spoken. It was an oral tradition in those days. Think about them in contrast to, say, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the more educated people, not the despised outcast shepherds, those who would have heard about the coming of the wise men some weeks or months or maybe however long later it was. It wasn't on Christmas Day. But whenever the wise men came, we're told, aren't we, that... All Jerusalem knew about it. But did any of them go looking to Bethlehem? No. They didn't, nobody even went with the wise men. But the shepherds went with haste. In fact, there's a real contrast, isn't there? That The term shepherds is, of course, a phrase that Jesus took upon himself when he called himself the good shepherd. But it was also a term given in the old testament to the leaders of israel they were meant to be the shepherds of god's people so we have this contrast don't we between the so-called religious leaders of the day sitting in jerusalem the scribes and the learned men who hear about jesus coming when the wise men come and do absolutely nothing versus the actual shepherds Sitting in the field, looking after the temple, lo- the temple lambs, who, when they get the message, take it up and go straight away. What a contrast between these poor shepherds and the shepherds of the flock of the people who don't do anything about it at all. So those are the first actors in this event, the shepherds. The second actor, as it were, in this event—it's not a story; it's an event—is. The angel, the single angel. Verse 9. All right, the word angel in the Greek means a messenger. And whenever angels appear, we expect them to fulfill their purpose as a messenger of God. Now, we're not going to go through the whole Christmas story, but if you know it, you will probably remember that there are at least six angels that take part at some point in the Christmas, in the, in the arrival of Jesus at the beginning whether it's coming to Zechariah coming to Mary, Joseph etc Okay, you can count them up afterwards if you want but I assure you there are six (laughs) now this single angel uses three names for Jesus in his announcement in verse 11 can you spot them he says I'm bringing you good news of great joy and then he says to them for there is born to you this day in the city of David a saviour savior the one who can rescue you who is christ christ is the same word for the jews as messiah he's the anointed one he's the chosen one who is christ the lord okay the name for the god of israel himself the great yahweh three names he gives okay savior christ and lord And he makes the message very personal to them, doesn't he? He says, this babe is born to you. A saviour for their sins, for what they needed a saviour for. A perfect lamb of God, who was going to take away their sins, was born for them. The very animals that the shepherds were looking after that were destined for temple sacrifice, they couldn't take away a sin. As I said earlier, did they understand that at the time? I don't know. I'll ask them when I get to heaven. (laughs) Try and look a few of them out. (laughs) Probably they didn't. But I I would imagine that some of them, the younger ones who then would have been still alive 30 years, 33 years later when Jesus went to the cross and the whole events of Easter happened, I wonder if some of them thought back and thought, hmm, that baby we saw... He was the real Lamb of God. What do we know that they do do? Well, like any uh, shepherd who's told to uh, take a lamb to the temple, the first thing they have to do is inspect it. The Old Testament laws tell them how they had to inspect to check out that the lamb was without blemish and without any defects. So the first thing they have to do is go and find this baby. And so the angel this single angel gives them two very humble signs to find him which when you think about it are some of the most pathetic factors in the birth of our lord jesus the two signs are he's going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths and he's going to be in a manger a feeding trough right not that he's got blue eyes that he's gurgling nicely and that he's got fair hair none of that he's got wrapped in swaddling cloths and he's lying in a feeding trough you see he had to tell them something that would set this child apart we know don't we from another part of the christmas story that there were other babies born in bethlehem yeah because nasty king herod later on goes on and tells tells his soldiers to kill all the babies in bethlehem so there must have been some other babies around at the time so how are you going to tell one baby from another well, I know mothers can do that, but um, you know, for some of us, they all look like Winston Churchill, and uh, <laughs> or whatever you say about them. No, I'm being rude. But um, anyway, uh, the point is, there needed to be a way of identifying that particular baby. So those were the two. These were the two clues. But what else is significant about those two signs? Because I think those two signs particularly identify Jesus, the Messiah, with the shepherds. Not just to them, because one of the other names of Messiah is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Jesus is particularly being identified as being with the shepherds. How's that then? Well, think about it. Did the shepherds have a roof over their heads? Nope. They're out in the field. Did Jesus have a roof over his head when he was ministering? Nope. We're told he was basically itinerant, right? He didn't have his own house. Did these sleep under the stars? Yep, they did. Did Jesus sleep under the stars? Yep, he did. Was he born in a house? No. You see what I mean? He's pretty close to being born like a shepherd and living like a shepherd jesus was poor and of no reputation as were they the jesus who was as i said earlier on going to call himself the good shepherd he identified from birth with these very shepherds how by also being born in a stable And what do you keep in a stable? Animals. What do shepherds live with? Animals. You see, and when that happens, this was part of what made shepherds ritually unclean. I told you earlier on, they were not allowed to serve in the temple. Was Jesus accused of being unclean? You bet. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? Even at birth, that Jesus is identifying with his humiliation and with people who are amongst the most rejected and despised of the day. You know, a little story for you. On one of my trips to India, um, I've, I went to uh, a minister who goes to a particular group of the Dalits. The Dalits are the untouchables in India, off the bottom of the caste system. And this... Dalit uh, group. There are lots of different groups of Dalits. As I mentioned in my slides, some of them are like snake charmers. I've been to uh, Dalit group where they are turtle eaters, and they all brought out their turtles. They didn't make me eat one, I'm glad to say. Alright? There are shepherd Dalits. There are are a a group of Dalits, several million of them by the way, it is India, (laughs) who are shepherds. That is their profession. They are shepherds. And he told me, this uh, pastor that I was staying with, about a time when he went and spoke about this passage to this Dalit group of shepherds in India, today, in the 21st century. This only happened a couple of years ago. And he said by the end of their talk, these shepherds were weeping. They were crying their eyes out. We don't get it, do we, in the same way? I don't see any of you crying, which is a good thing because I wonder what I've done, but... But you know what I mean? They were so moved that Jesus had come to shepherds and identified with shepherds that they were weeping. And praise God, many of them came to faith that day. We don't get that in our society. But it does still happen today. That was only five years ago in India. So I just want us to get into that mind frame as we read this comfortable story. It wasn't that comfortable at the time. But that's with the shepherds. Okay, move on quickly. Third group of people in this this, uh, event is the multitude of angels. Verse 13, so we've had the single angel, and then after that, we get the multitude of angels. So they're not messengers. It's not like there's 10,000 different messages to give. Their role was that of adoration, worship, and testimony. Indeed, some commentators say this is the best way to look at the whole of Luke chapter 2. It's why Luke picked the events that he did, because he's trying to put in there ways that show and testify as to who Jesus was. The first one is this one of the angels and shepherds. The second one is the one uh, where he goes to the temple and uh, Simeon and Anna see him and testify who he is. And then the third one is when he's 12 years old and he testifies himself as a young teenager who he is. So let's just look quickly at this adoration and testimony of the angels together, because it says in verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, on whom his favor rests. All right. I think it's a better translation, to be honest, than you've got in your NKJV where it says goodwill toward men. The better translation is those whom he is pleased on whom his favor rests. Now, we've already been told that the glory of the Lord shone around them in verse 9, when the angel of the Lord, the lone angel, came. And that shining of the glory of the Lord is a reference to something called the Shekinah glory of the Lord, which is always associated in the Old Testament with revelation. So, for instance, you read about it when God shows himself to Abraham at Ur, and he first calls Abraham. It's the same when Moses uh, has the tabernacle in the wilderness, when Solomon brings the ark into the temple. These are the sort of events when we read about the Shekinah glory of God appearing to people in the Old Testament. And then in Ezekiel chapter 10, we read of the Shekinah glory leaving the temple. God making himself very visibly clear that he was displeased with what was going on and leaving the temple. And we don't read about the Shekinah glory of Jesus of God again until now. So this Shekinah glory that's been gone from the people of Israel for hundreds of years suddenly comes to these shepherds on the hillside. Isn't that amazing? Now, please one more thing about what they say, because who do they say that peace is for? Okay? We actually, often people say, it's goodwill to all men. That's not what the text says. Okay? It's peace among those on whom his favor rests. Or some say, with whom he is pleased. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us very plainly plainly, without faith it is impossible to please God. So this Christmas event, the first coming of Jesus, doesn't bring peace to everyone. As the, uh, as the aged Simeon said a few verses later when he saw the child Jesus, he said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, so that through the, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus said himself in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. And as John wrote at the start of his gospel, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, Jesus says, yes, peace I leave with you, but who does he leave peace with? He says that to his disciples. He's not saying that to every man and woman alive. The message of Christmas is not easily just, oh, everything's going to be fine for everybody. It's peace and goodwill to all men. That's not true. It's peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Now, back to the Bethlehem hillside, where this action's taken place with these three players. The lower class shepherds who looked after the sheep destined for sacrifice. They'd been chosen. They'd heard the specific message about the baby's names and the two signs by which they would identify him. And then they had seen this spectacular angelic revelation to confirm all of this. It's amazing, isn't it, to reflect that on that night in Bethlehem, apart from Joseph and Mary, the only people in the whole world who knew that the Christ had been born were these lowly shepherds. And what did they do? They responded in faith and they went to see and find Jesus. And as I said earlier on, they went with great haste. Now, to me, the shepherd's search for baby Jesus was rather like a scavenger hunt you do scavenger hunts these days young people yes you do right and it's like they've been given some clues right so here's some clues you've got to go and look for a new newborn baby the baby's a boy you know that much so that rules out half of them he was to be found in a cattle feeding trough and he's wrapped in strips of cloth and I can just imagine the shepherds running around Bethlehem knocking on the doors saying is there a new baby born here Somebody no, 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 he was born last week. Oh, okay, not you. Don't worry, we're looking for a newborn baby. They probably said, why? <laughs> so the shepherds would probably have to have told them something. And I bet probably a few of them joined in the hunt. So they're going around the town looking up where all these babies are. Probably, I mean, Bethlehem's not huge, so it can't have been taken huge. It wouldn't have been as big as running around Belvedere or Bromley. But um, it would have taken a bit of time. And slowly, I guess the whole town probably got woken up because probably the last place they were going to go and look was in a stable. Well, having been told it's a manger, maybe that's not the last place, come to think of it. Maybe they would have been looking saying, oh, I don't want to know who's in the bedroom. I want to know who's downstairs with the animals. So by the time they finished, lots of people would have been stirred up. And eventually, we're told in verse 16, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. You see, they went and inspected for themselves, just like the way that they looked and checked out the lambs destined for sacrifice. The humble birth and the spectacular revelation from the angels, in a way they don't really seem to fit together. But in God's purposes, they did. And they find him exactly where they were expected to find him. Because the shepherds know and understand animals, their sound and their smell. It's their everyday. They're not put off. For them, this isn't a difficult thing to do. Some people would have turned their noses up saying, I'm not going to go around smelly stables looking for a baby. But no, for them, it was something that they were quite prepared to do. And after the shepherds found the child and shared with Mary and Joseph what had happened, they probably retraced their steps and told people in the town what they'd seen and brought them up to date. And Luke tells us, doesn't he, that all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told, about, told them. Now think about it, back to what I told you ten minutes ago. These shepherds belonged to a class in society that was banned from giving testimony in court. And yet they were the ones that God chose to bear witness to the birth of his son and be the first messengers or we might say in our language today the first evangelists of this wonderful good news they were the first human people apart from Mary and Joseph to see Jesus and now they were the first people to spread the good news of Jesus' arrival wow why them? well there's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 that says God has always chosen the weak ...and foolish things of this world... ...to confound the wisdom of the wise. Because you see, ultimately... ...it's not the messengers that matter... ...it's the message. All God asks is that the messengers... ...are true and faithful to the message. doesn't matter what background you come from. If Jesus came to bring salvation and deliverance... ...to the poor, the oppressed... ...and the despised of this world... Well, why not announce it through people who are poor and oppressed and despised in the world, namely the shepherds? So that's the story. No, not the story. That's the event. The event with the angel, the shepherds, and then the multitude of angels. Do we get it? It's not soft and cosy, is it? Let me just quickly say three applications for us to think about from this wonderful event. First of all, just ask you to think again, think about the sovereignty of God in history. Luke's decided this is one of the most important events to record, if not the most important events. As I said, he devotes two-thirds of his 20 verses of the first Christmas day to this story. God is working out his purposes. And all the things I've just shared to you, these aren't just happy coincidences. This is God fitting it all together even when the Romans have come along and made this census and forced Mary and Joseph to go away from their homes etc it's all happening under his control secondly maybe use it as a way of thinking about how we communicate the gospel so as I have said Luke, Luke's trying to be you know he's not maybe short of paper but he's not trying to pad this story out okay he's not trying to glitz it up so many other religions come up with these glitzy i have to say fables and they are stories about how their primary person whether it's buddha or vishnu or um, uh, other other key players in other religions how they were born no no there's no glitzing this up this is just fact when it happened in the first seven verses And then this crucial event that happens. And so of all the things that he's been told by both Mary and others who might have been around, he may have even found some of the original shepherds, I don't know. He's decided that this is the bit that he needs us to understand, because it's pointing us to who Jesus was, even as a baby, and that angelic announcement. And he's not padding it out with all the verses from the Old Testament, etc., because that's not what his Gentile readers need to know. Matthew can do that. <laughs> you know, when we come to share the gospel, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I think, well, I've got to make sure I cover this, this, and this. Otherwise, I'm not giving the full gospel, and I don't want to go away with a false impression. No, we can get over, overindulged, if you like, <laughs> in trying to be so correct that we include everything. Luke's a brilliant example, isn't he, of how to prick out what is relevant, what was relevant for his Gentile regions for the first century. This is what was relevant. And it's, in a way, the other thing I want to mention about Luke's account is, as I've said, he's the only one who spends any verses on Christmas Day. Luke, Matthew has one verse just saying he's born, and the others don't even mention it in the Gospels. Just contrast that with how many verses, indeed how many chapters, we have around the Easter story. Lots, right? Loads. There's a reason for that. It's what the theologians call a principle of proportion. You spend the time on what matters most. Okay? Jesus coming to earth matters because he had to be born as a human and he had to then grow up To do all that he was going to grow up. So he had to come to earth. Okay? But apart from needing to know who he was, which is what this chapter focuses on, there's nothing relevant about Jesus growing up as a baby and being a toddler, etc., etc. That's not relevant for the gospel story. So we don't have any verses about it. What we do have is all those verses about his ministry as an adult and most of all about his death and resurrection. I don't know about you, but I find this world today a bit topsy-turvy that we spend more time celebrating Christmas than we do celebrating Easter. It should be the other way around. Christmas is important because you can't have Easter without Christmas because Jesus had to come first before he could die on the cross. But in terms of what he actually did, Easter's the more important celebration, my friends. So you can invite me back at Easter time and we'll have an even longer talk. No, 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 no. Thirdly, I've already mentioned this to you, consider that God used poor, despised shepherds to not only be recipients of his good news, but also to be the first messengers, or indeed evangelists, of the good news. So if they can do it, can't you? You don't have to be poor and despised. You don't have to make yourself illiterate, and I hope you aren't. God needs us all the upper class, the middle class, the lower class, the even lower classes, whatever description you want, it doesn't matter. It's not about the messenger, it's about the message. And he wants anybody to be able to understand and share his message, including the Dalit shepherds in India of today, along with the brightest A-level stars that we can have in this country, and our politicians and our leaders. All of us have a responsibility to understand and share this message. In a way, the shepherds' example is a very easy example to follow. They did three things. They received the message from the angel, and then the multitude of angels. They understood how important it was, so they didn't disregard it like those other folks in Jerusalem. They went and shared it, and act, uh, well, they, they understood it, and knew they had to do something quickly. And thirdly, they told people about it, and did it. Receive it, understand it, tell it. R-U-T, rut. Why is he saying rut? Because I'm going to tell you, if you have to do anything this Christmas, I want you to get stuck in a rut. Okay? Remember, that's a phrase, right, that we have saying that, you know, we do things time and time again. Well, do this time and time again. Receive the message. You get it preached here every Sunday, I'm sure. Understand it. If there's anything that you don't understand, come and ask or challenge, or if you think you've got it wrong, come and tell me afterwards. But most of all, don't forget the tea. Tell it. That's what the shepherds did. So get stuck in a rut for Christmas, will you? In that way. I began by saying that most people, even most people who would probably not call themselves Christians, are happy to celebrate Christmas. But, you know, they do that for all the wrong reasons. Because I fear that what they're doing is they're just getting gooey and sentimental about it. More than that, a Jesus who they see as just born in a manger is a Jesus that they think they can control. He doesn't threaten them. He's a God in a box, or in this case, in a little manger, that they can just wrap up and feel comfortable with. But it's not, that's not the story, is it? In contrast, they don't want to think about the Jesus who hung on a cross, the Jesus who died for our sins. People have made too much of the babe in the manger because this is the kind of God they want to serve a God who's weak and helpless and who needs us rather than a God who is sovereign and who demands our obedience because that's what he did when he went to the cross. And paid the price for us. So what kind of God do you want to serve? What kind of baby Jesus do you want to talk about this Christmas? That you want to worship? Let me finish with these words from the book of Revelation chapter 1. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's Jesus. From the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom priests to his god the priest to his god and father to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever amen behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him you see according to revelation and the prophecies of the bible the Jesus who came that first time as a little baby is coming again but this time he's coming as the avenger and the righteous judge who's going to justly punish those who've done wrong and is going to save and reward only those who are righteous in God's eyes because they've trusted in Christ as their saviour This may not be the kind of Jesus you want to think about this Christmas, but that is actually who he is. Yes, he came to humble himself. He came and identified with the shepherds. But he's coming back again, and it won't be in a nice, cuddly stable in Bethlehem anymore. He's coming back as judge. And this is the Jesus of the manger that the shepherds were the first to see. This is the coming king. So my friends, I don't know where you all stand with Jesus this morning. I hope and I think that many of you know him as your Lord and Saviour. If so, be like the shepherds. Get stuck in a rut this Christmas. Don't just receive the message. Don't just say, "Okay, I understand that now. And I understand maybe a little bit more after what you said today. Go out and tell it and share it. And if you don't yet put your trust in Jesus, think about all the things I've said. Why did God put this there for us to understand this story? Because this is the Jesus, not the cuddly baby in the manger, the one who's going to come back as the righteous judge. And unless you're putting your trust and faith in him, you're not going to be those on whom God's peace and favour rests. And that's a terrible situation to be in. But it's not too late. You can accept this message today, And if you want to do that and you haven't done that already, come and talk to me or one of the the leaders here afterwards.